All right. Thank you, Bob. A uh, couple of notes. Uh, there, there is this uh, handout at the front. This is scripture verses to cut and to hand out. Uh, I did already do that. If you received one of those that I cut up, uh, we're going to have you read those later on. Uh, the, ha- the actual handout will show you the order that we're going to read those in. But, you know, since we had a lot of these, I just, you know, figured everybody could go ahead and have one. So if I gave you a scripture to read, you could just read it off of this list. It'd be easier than keeping track of that little slip of paper. But uh, we'll get to that later. Um, all right. So this morning, uh, we're continuing our series on law and virtue. Uh, and as Bob mentioned, we're going to be talking about gratitude, generosity, and hospitality as the antithesis or the opposite of the Eighth and the Tenth Commandments. And so to start off with, I want to read uh, a sort of, sort of launching point. I want to read from Colossians chapter 3. So if you look on your handout, we have that there. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the Eighth and the Tenth Commandments, as written in the Book of Common Prayer, are you shall not steal and you shall not covet. Um, Today we place them alongside the virtues of gratitude, generosity, and hospitality. Um, There are a lot of places that we could go with this lesson. Um, There are a lot of books on the subject. A number of books have been recommended to me. There's one that was just recently published on gratitude by Cal uh, Plantinga. What's his his first name? Alvin Plantinga. Neil Neil Plantinga. Neil. There's Neil and there's Alvin. Okay, two different people. Just search Plantinga and gratitude. You'll find the book. Anyways, uh, (laughs) so there's a lot of things that we can connect these topics to. Um, So part of my task this morning is going to be kind of trying to narrow our discussion uh, but the other thing I wanted to do is try and give us a, a fresh perspective on these topics, because I think that, you know, when you read the eight, you, by the time you get to the end of the Ten Commandments and you get to eight and ten, you're kind of like, yeah, 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 don't steal, don't covet, got it, no problem. Uh, I won't covet my neighbor's uh, donkey or whatever. I, I can do that. Um, and, you know, when we talk about gratitude and generosity, again, we're sort of, you know, in our minds, we're like, yeah, yeah, be grateful, be generous, be hospitable, I can do that, no problem. Um, I think our brains kind of go into that mode like we're driving to work. Have you ever been in this thing where you're driving to work and your brain just shuts off and the next thing you know you're there? Or you're going someplace else like the grocery store and your brain goes into that work mode and the next thing you know you're like, oh, I'm not supposed to be going to work, I'm supposed to be going to the grocery store. I do this a lot and my wife is like, where are you going? And I'm like, oh, 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 I thought we were going to some place. Anyway, so I want to kind of break us out of that rut this morning. So going to introduce a little cognitive dissonance, a little bit of a, a controversy here, and hopefully we can, we can land the plane at the end uh, and maybe have some good discussion. So to do that, uh, I want to start off with two teasers, and I'm just going to put these out. These are going to be our discussion questions later, but I want to just go ahead and put these in your mind so that as we're going through and we're talking about things that you'll be thinking in your head about how, how maybe you would answer these. So the first one, if you look on your handout, is how does covetousness spring from self-love? So the 10th commandment is you shall not covet. And when I was doing some research for this and I was reading, uh, I was reading St. John Chrysostom, uh, his homilies, and he has one on 2 Timothy chapter 3, which we're not talking about in depth today, but he he does a thing where um, we see um, Paul talks and he gives a lot of lists of sins. You can find a lot of these sort of lists of sins. There's some of them in uh, in Colossians chapter 3 as well. And he says... 
in the last days, distressing times will come, for people will be lovers of themselves. And then he goes through all these lists. And one of the things he mentions is ungrateful. And in response to this one sentence, uh, Chrysostom writes, from self-love springs covetousness. And that just really got me thinking, uh, like trying to figure out where he's coming from with that. And so I want that to be a discussion question for us later. So we're going to talk about this in a bit. But if you had to diagram this connection, how would you connect the dots between self-love and covetousness? We'll come back to that. Teaser number two is, why does Paul summarize evil desire and covetousness as idolatry? in Colossians chapter 3.3. 3. So we didn't read the entirety of Colossians chapter 3. Uh, I would encourage you to go back and read it uh, after this morning. But in verse 3, Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so I want us to talk a little bit later, what does Paul, why does Paul summarize evil desire and covetousness as idolatry? Or you could frame it and say, what does worshiping an idol have to do with covetousness and evil desire? And then how can we avoid idolatry by practicing gratitude, generosity, and hospitality? Idolatry is not a thing that I think is on the forefront of our minds. Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, I need to make sure that I don't commit idolatry today. But uh, clearly, this was something uh, that is tied together with what we're going to be talking about this morning. So hopefully, we can connect the dots on that. All right. So I want to start off with a little bit of discussion, so I want you guys to weigh in here. Marcus, if you want to run around with the microphone, you can. Uh, I want to ask you guys, and there's no, well, there's no wrong answers here, so don't feel, feel free to weigh in, but what have you heard people describe as the root sin, the sin underneath all other sins? I think there's going to be a number of different answers here, so feel free to weigh in. What have you guys heard described as the root sin? Okay, the love of money. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Pride. pride. Okay, pride. <laughs> we got one back here. Poor Marcus can't run fast yeah. enough. <laughs> I've heard curiositas. Curiosity. Can you explain what you mean by that? Uh, it's it's like a a pursuit of of knowledge expressly for the goal of gaining ownership and mastery over a thing. Oh, okay. All right. That's interesting. I've never heard that one. Okay. Anybody else? Root sin. We've got. Pride, love of money, curiositas. Anybody else? Um, self. Do what? Love of self? Love of self. Okay. All right. So a lot of different answers out there. Uh, you guys may have heard uh, them. You know, the, there's oftentimes you listen to somebody like a John Piper or a, a Tim Keller. You know, they have a, an answer that they'll give for this drawn from some spiritual tradition or some tradition. Uh, but I want to introduce another candidate to the discussion here. Uh, and it is ingratitude, okay? So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a, a different thing. I'm going to try and introduce some background here that hopefully will help us understand this. But if you look at the, actually, you can, before you flip over, you guys are too premature there. If you look at the bottom of your handout, uh, so some of this is drawn from a book uh, called Paul and the Gift by a New Testament uh, scholar named John Barclay. But in his book, which we'll talk about a little bit more, we're going to define this term, he talks about how the concept of gift exchange in the Greco-Roman world influenced Paul's culture in which he was writing and, and addressing theology. And uh, he, he, the book is about how that can help us understand where Paul is coming from in his, in his books, and specifically Romans and Galatians. And so there's a quote here. He says, Seneca takes for granted that gift giving is a matter not of individual ethics, but of sociality, tying people together in bonds or obligation. The strength of this bond arises from the strong expectation 
that a gift must be returned in one form or another. Oh, there it is. The whole world re regards ingratitude as among the worst social vices. So, right, some people are going, well, I don't know that the whole world today would, would regard ingratitude as the worst social vice. So clearly, they're coming at this topic from a different perspective than us. Um, elsewhere, Seneca, the same uh, ancient uh, philosopher, writes that calls ingratitude the most odious vice. But this wasn't something that was just uh, Greco-Roman thinkers, these philosophers, uh, St. Gregory Thaumaturgus, the miracle worker, he writes, ingratitude appears to me to be a dire evil, a dire e evil indeed, yea, the direst of evils. For when one has received some benefit, his failing to attempt to make any return by at least the oral expression of thanks, where aught else is beyond his power, marks him out as either an utterly irrational person or as one devoid of the sense of obligations conferred or a man without any memory. And then Clement of Alexandria elsewhere describes ingratitude as the only dishonor that can touch God. And this is a, an interesting thing when you do reading and you look at some of the earliest writers around the time of, of Christ. This was clearly something that was on their minds, this idea of ingratitude being among the worst sins that you could commit, uh, the root sin. Uh, and so th this sort of raises the question of why was ingratitude considered the, this dire evil uh, by these people that were contemporaries of Christ. So I want to introduce an, an, an answer here that I think will help us understand where they were coming from and why gratitude was so important uh, in Jesus' day and why it's so important, I think, in Scripture. Um, so there's a, a study, a book by a French anthropologist named Marcel Mauss that's literally called The Gift, and it's talking about this idea of gift exchange, this thing that I mentioned earlier. So what I want to do is just introduce this topic, and then again, we're going to connect the dots to gratitude. So if you look on your hand out there, uh, Mouse uh, describes this system of gifts and return gifts that was very common among uh, pre-modernized, pre-Western people. Um, there's still cultures today that sort of live and operate by this idea, but this is something that was very uh, operational in Jesus' time. And so the idea is there are these three obligations. You look on your hand out there. The first obligation is to give gifts. The second obligation is to receive them. And then the third one is to return gifts. And so this idea is if I give you something, uh, you receive it, and then there's an obligation to give it back. And if you think about it, this isn't that foreign to us. Um, you know, we just celebrated Valentine's Day. <laughs> there's clearly an obligation to give gifts to your loved one on Valentine's Day, and there's an obligation to receive gifts, and then if you don't give your loved one a gift in, in exchange or in return, you could get in big trouble. I was joking with my wife. I, was, I went to the grocery store to get just some basic groceries on Valentine's Day, and it was just full of these guys standing around with flowers and balloons, just kind of looking like, is this all? Should I get chocolates? It was really comical. Um, and so this, you know, there's clearly this operates at certain levels uh, in our culture. And so Mouse talks in his book, he says, to refuse to give, to neglect to invite, as to refuse to take, is equivalent to declaring war. It is to refuse alliance and communion. And so this idea of giving somebody something and then them giving something back to you in return, you can see how this could get warped, right? You could very easily turn into sort of a quid pro quo, kind of a mafia level uh, situation. But you have to understand that back then, you know, the sort of most uh, virtuous version of this they saw 
this idea of gift and return gift as something that was to create and maintain social bonds, uh, to establish and stabilize communion with someone else. And so again, to go back to sort of a marriage relationship, you can think in a marriage, there should be giving and receiving, and it should be going back and forth in a marriage. And if it ever becomes totally one-sided, right, pretty soon the marriage is going to break down, right? And so there, we do have these ideas built into a lot of things that we, you know, this idea of if you have friends with somebody and you give to them and they give nothing back to you, then that friendship is, is going to die pretty soon. Um, a good example of this uh, that honestly doesn't make sense unless you understand this cultural background is 1 Samuel 25 and the story of David and Nabal and Abigail. Uh, we're not going to talk about that this morning, but I would just encourage you to read it later. David gets so upset that this guy named Nabal doesn't offer him uh, some of the fruit of his harvest that he threatens to come and kill every male in Nabal's household who's old enough to stand peeing up. Uh, literally says that in scripture. It's one of these very weird stories where you're like, what is going on? I thought David was a man after God's own heart. He's going to kill children. Like, what is going on with this? And the way that it's resolved is Abigail goes out and meets him with a bunch of gifts right? And so this is one of those things where, you know, there's this, clearly this cultural background that doesn't make sense to us. Why do I bring this up? So um, some of you may have heard of a professor at uh, Wheaton named John, John Walton. Has anybody heard of John Walton? Great guy. Um, so he uses the term the great symbiosis to describe how this functioned in the ancient Near East, the same idea. And the idea was that uh, people believed that they could give gifts to their gods, and that would obligate their God to give them something back to them. And the idea of a symbiosis was literally that they would give the God a place to live in the form of a temple. They would give the God sacrifices in the form of food, and they literally thought that their God wanted to eat this food. They needed the food to survive. Uh, and it was sort of an arrangement um, where there was this sort of back and forth. They would give their God gifts and sacrifices, and the God would give them protection in return. And again, the sort of non-problematic version of this is where, uh, and you can see this in the Old Testament, where gifts are an expression of thanksgiving that facilitates communion with Yahweh. And so uh, Walton, in his book, Old Testament Theology for Christians, says the sacrifices and rituals of the Old Testament played the role of relationship-building exercises. And so this was the way that they demonstrated their, their thanksgiving to God was to offer these uh, sacrifices. There literally are sacrifices in the Old Testament that are, that are intended to be for that purpose, for giving thanks. And so this whole culture, this idea of gift exchange, of giving and return gifts, again, like we said, it can be problematic, but part of it comes this concept of a worthy recipient. Because one of the problems that they ran into is if giving someone a gift obligates them to give back to you, it immediately creates this issue of, well, what if they can't give you anything? What if they can't give you something in return? And so they developed this morality where they thought, well, we should only give to people who can give back to us, people who are worthy recipients. And so there's a good example of this in, uh, in the New Testament where Jesus gets invited to dinner with some of the Pharisees in Luke chapter 14, and they have only been inviting their rich friends who can return the invitation and it's just been sort of going around, and it's just rich friends inviting rich friends over for dinner. And Jesus is like, hey, you guys have lost the plot here. Um, you need to invite people who can't give back to you, because then God will reward you. God's the one that's going to give back to you. 
But if you only give to people that you think are worthy, then you're never going to be able to help anybody. You're never going to be able to give someone in need. And so all of these questions were on the mind of people in Jesus' day. Uh, who is worthy to receive gifts? What makes someone worthy? Who is my neighbor? Uh, and how can we offer return gifts to God? And there were already a lot of uh, solutions and ideas floating around in Jesus' day of how to fix this. Um, primarily what they had landed on, and, and because it's all throughout the Old Testament, is the way that we give gifts back to God is by loving our neighbor. Because we can't give anything to God that we haven't already received from him. I mean, this is literally like in our liturgy, right? Um, we cannot give anything back to God because he doesn't need it, right? He doesn't eat. It's not like we can give him uh, some barbecue and he's like, oh, thank you, I was hungry. Um, so there's nothing that we can give to God that he needs, and everything that we have comes from him. And so throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, the message that we receive is the way that we show our gratitude, the way that we express thanksgiving to God for what he's done for us, is we love our neighbor. We share the gifts that we've received with others, particularly those who are in need, and we don't think about categories of worth because none of us is worthy, right? Paul says all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserves the gifts that we get from, we get from the Lord, and so we shouldn't be using that as a category for others. So we're going to have some discussion in just a second, but I want us to read these Scripture verses because I think Scripture is pretty clear on sort of how to resolve this issue. So if you have one of your little slips of paper... Uh, on your hand out there, I'm just going to ask a question, and then uh, if you can read in the order that it appears on your handout, uh, we'll see if this, we can work this out, we can coordinate this. So first question, what can we give to God that we have not already received? Yep. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all that is in it is mine. Do not eat them. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the most high. Question B says, what do you have that you cannot
You're fine. Was that Hosea 6-6? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fine. Uh, who has Psalm 40? Now, uh, I didn't include Matthew 25. We missed that there. You can read that later on for homework. I'll just mention that that's the passage where Jesus says, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. And so we, we see this idea directly from Jesus' mouth that... Sorry? Okay. <laughs> we see this idea directly from Jesus' mouth that, that whatever, the way that we love Christ, the way that we love God, the way that we give back to him is by loving others. Uh, uh, who has uh, these last three verses? I'll read the question, and then we'll read those verses. What kills gratitude? What causes covetousness? Why are we not worthy to receive good gifts from God? Deuteronomy 8. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes that I am commanding you today. When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God. Do not say, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors. All right, so uh, what I want us to do is just very quickly, I want us to break up into some small groups here, find a group of about three or four people. And then what I want to do is everybody on this side, I'm going to ask you guys to talk about question number one. Everybody on this side, I want you guys to talk about question number two, okay? So let's go ahead and do that, and uh, we'll just give you a couple minutes, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap things up. What do you think?
All right, let's, uh, let's see if we can wrap up here. Uh, you don't have to. Every group doesn't have to weigh in. We don't have uh, time for that, obviously. Uh, Marcus, if you want to run around. Uh, but we'll start over here on this side. Um, I heard some very enticing analysis of donkey coveting over here, so I'm very <laughs> interested to see what, uh, what was going on there. So let's start out with the, the question over on this side. This one, I, I would argue this one's a little tougher than the one on this side over here. But uh, uh, you know, we're talking about the Tenth Commandment, do not covet. So uh, we'll see what you guys think. What do you guys think? If you had to diagram this connection, how would you connect the dots from self-love to covetousness? How does covetousness spring from self-love? Anybody want to weigh in over here? Any thoughts? I'm not going to read you St. John Chrysostom's commentary, so nobody's going to feel like they're wrong. So just weigh in. We diagrammed it as a straight line. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there any dots along the way, or uh... Uh, what do we say? Um, you know, I love myself. I don't have room to love other people, so um, I want something. It's important to me that I get it. Therefore, I should have it. Okay. Uh, those were our dots. Okay. And there's right. there's no room for anybody else. Okay. If I okay. want my neighbor's wife, my neighbor doesn't matter at that point. It's okay. it's about my love. Okay. All right. Anybody else over here? Bob? Uh, yeah, Kenny uh, suggested that uh, when you covet something in the proper, uh, in, in a sense, uh, well, in the biblical sense, <laughs> whatever that is, um, <laughs> um, you, you feel entitled to it. You, you feel mm. as though you really ought to have that thing that yeah. the other person has. You deserve it. And, uh, and I thought maybe that had to do with a kind of sense of one's own importance mm. that is uh, distorted, right? We have a, we're, we're no doubt important in God's eyes. We're loved and we're important in, in the eyes of people we, who love us. And that's a proper kind of importance. Yeah. But this kind of importance is about uh, something that's vain, something... Yeah something that's really, really not a kind of importance yeah. of us. But. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Anybody else over here? I, I want to, yeah, Adam. I don't think any of us did diagram it, but it occurred to me how I would. Okay. My idea was kind, I think I would diagram it as like a teeter-totter, like, like we're supposed to love ourselves, but we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. Mm. And if we love ourselves excessively, then it like tips the teeter-totter up so that when we see our neighbors getting good things, mm. we don't love that our neighbors are getting the good <laughs> things, but instead it saddens us that our yeah. neighbors are getting the good things. Yeah, yeah. Because we're like loving ourselves too much. 
Okay. What about this? Uh, there's some intense donkey analysis over here. I really want to hear from the, the 10th commandment. One of the versions of it is it literally lists out like don't cover your neighbor's donkey. So I'm, I'm interested to see what. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, pigs. Are, okay. All right. We, we, were, we were thinking that uh, actually self-love, there's, a, there's an inadequacy in it, that comparison to the other person. And I was just saying that uh, on the farm, you don't raise one pig, you raise two mm. because they get into competition with each other and they're, they, they eat more. Mm. They, they gain more weight if there's two because they started in competition wanting what the other one has. So there's a sense of inadequacy. Okay. All right. All right. What about over here? Let's, uh, let's get over this question. Anybody want to weigh in? Uh, why does Paul summarize evil desire and covetousness as idolatry? What does worshiping an idol have to do with covetousness? And then, or the last question, how can we avoid idolatry by practicing gratitude, generosity, and hospitality? Okay. Mm. All these minds, you want to keep the microphone to me? <laughs> uh, tell me if I've got this right, guys. Um, that the that the idol is is basically that desire for the other for the other things that people have, and as you become more consumed by that, um, it, it 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 takes you away from God, and that the. Um, you've forgotten or have neglected to be grateful for things you do have versus the things you don't. So in a sense, it's taking you from God to, to this other idol of selfishness and, and um, coveting your neighbor and whatnot. Okay. Did I, did I get that, guys? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? Any of the groups want to weigh in? Anybody else? Jim, I heard you give an excellent answer. Will you please weigh in? I was all, it was so good, I was about to give you a fist bump. Gosh, can, can you kind of prompt me? What How can I we say? avoid idolatry by practicing gratitude, generosity, and hospitality? <laughs> no pressure. Well, I, I don't know if this was it. Just, I can't remember <laughs> what I said. <laughs> but... Um, because we're, if we're not acknowledging that all good gifts come from Father, then, you know, by practicing gratitude and hospitality, we are acknowledging that. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, uh, well let's, let's wrap up here. Um, try and close. Uh, if you look in your handout, there's a little quote that I included. Um, one of my favorite novel series is the Ransom Trilogy. It's written by C.S. Lewis. Great. Great stories. I would encourage you to read those if you haven't ever read them. Um, in the second novel, and this is going to sound like a weird setup. If you've ever read the book, it'll make perfect sense to you. But if you haven't, this may sound a little odd, but just follow along with me. So at the climax of the second novel, Paralandra, um, Adam and Eve, imagine if Adam and Eve had risen to glory instead of giving in to temptation. So at the end of the novel, the, the king and the queen of Venus have overcome temptation, this temptation by this demon, and at the end, God, you know, God shows up and he says, hey, I'm going to put you in charge of the planet. Instead of being kicked out of the garden, um, they're, they're given charge of the planet. And so there's this momentous uh, thing that happens. And the problem is the king has been largely absent in the story. The queen is the one that has overcome this temptation. She's sort of held her own against the temptation she hasn't given in. But the king just shows up at the last chapter. He hasn't, he's been pretty much absent the whole story. And so... In response to this moment, uh, getting, you know, being rewarded for the world and, and being you know, uh, put in charge of everything, 
and the queen being the one that succumbed to the temptation, or didn't succumb to the temptation, we have this passage. So let me read this here, and then we'll wrap up. I know what he is thinking, said the king, looking upon the queen. He is thinking that you suffered and strove, and I have a world for my reward. Then he turned to ransom and continued, you are right, he said. I know what they say in your world about justice, and perhaps they say, well, for in that world all things fall below justice, or things always fall below justice. But God always goes above it. All is gift. I am ruler, not by his gift alone, but by yours, not by ours alone, but by my wife's, nay, in some sort, by the gift of the very beasts and birds. Through many hands, enriched with many different kinds of love and labor, the gift comes to me. It is the law. The best fruits are plucked for each by some hand that is not his own. So this confession at the end of the story that all is gift, I think is at the heart of what it means to have gratitude and to recognize that because everything we have comes to us from the Father above, as Jim mentioned, um, everything that we have that is good in our lives that we can see and can confess that is good, we can say that it came to us from the Lord. And in many cases, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can acknowledge that oftentimes it comes through someone else, right? It might come through our spouse, it might come through a coworker, our parents, people that have done all these things for us and acknowledging that all is gift and that oftentimes it comes through other people is at the root, I think, of what allows us to be generous and to be hospitable and to not covet and to not want to steal. Um, it is only when we're able to make this confession that we're able to look around and say, you know, why would I steal a gift that God has given to someone else? Why would I covet a good that someone else has received from God's hand? Uh, if every good thing in my life is a gift that's given to me by God, something that I didn't deserve, that I'm not worthy to receive, why would I hoard those gifts for myself? Why would I not share them with other people and be generous and be hospitable? Um, why would I not extend hospitality to even people who can't repay me in kind? Because God has done the same thing to me. And so at the core of this uh, is this idea of all of gift. But the root vice that I think short circuits our love for our neighbors very quickly is ingratitude. Uh, it's this feeling, as some of you said over here on this side, that we're entitled to good things, uh, that we deserve them, that uh, in, in Deuteronomy, one of those passages that we said, God literally puts it in, the, in their mouth. He says, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. That's at the root, I think, of all of a lot, a lot of the problems that we have. James actually says this is the reason why you fight amongst yourselves. Um, and so this grasping will lead us to do all kinds of awful things, to steal, to kill, to destroy, to covet, to commit violence, to hoard, to abuse, to justify any kind of sin. And so... As we think about these Eighth and the Tenth Commandments and gratitude, I just want that idea of all of gift to resonate with you. And then as we celebrate our worship service this morning, I want you to listen. There are a number of lines built into our liturgy where we say, you know, of your, uh, of all, uh, all things come from the Lord and of your own have we given you. And we're reading from 1 Chronicles 29. And then, uh, th this idea of gifts and return gifts and thanksgiving and praise, God is worthy to receive all our praise and honor. It's built into our worship service, and it should flow through our lives. So let's uh, close in prayer, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be finished. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much uh, for all the good things that you've given us. Just help us to look around at uh, everything that we've received in our lives, everything that is good, uh, and just confess that all is gift, that it all comes from you, and that uh, we don't deserve any of it. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to live lives of generosity and hospitality 
as we seek to uh, show our thanksgiving and our praise to you by loving others uh, and by sharing what we've received with those who are in need. And we just lift up all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.